Open the doors, let them in. You remember that? You remember that thing we used to do with our our hands about the church and all that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. We'll give us just a minute. Let Facebook push this out, and then we will start. I remember where you put a tool yesterday. For what? We can remember things like that that we can't. That's right. I know. That's that is that's interesting. Yeah, I have a very good memory until it comes to what I was getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. And then it just flies away. And sometimes where I was getting ready to turn, my worst problem is when I stop at a stoplight. And I just start thinking, and next thing I know, am I supposed to turn or go straight? <laughs> where am I going? So hi, Glenda. Good to see you here and the rest of you here. <laughs> well, we're going to continue our study on unveiling the book of Romans to reveal the beauty of Jesus' gospel. And I hope you enjoyed following this with us. Uh, this is the uh, actually chapter 4 of the second book I'm writing about this. And so we're going through letter chapter 5. And this lesson here will be going through. Uh, I don't know if we'll finish it because it's, I have a lot of pages of notes. So I'll probably do this in two parts. You'll be glad that I did most likely <laughs> that I did. But we're, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5 uh, verse 16. And probably will read that through 21 and I'm going to teach from there and what I got out of that yesterday when I was studying and kept hearing over and over and over is an identity crisis and I've talked about this off and on a little bit we all have but the world has always suffered from an identity crisis that's what happened in the very beginning is man uh, forgot or lost their identity or never was taught their identity most of us the truth is and as far as uh spiritual things go we grew up and we were not taught our identity except that we were taught that we were sinners or sinners saved by grace you know and and then we were taught that we were righteous but we didn't understand that so uh, i want to deal with that today because i feel like the apostle paul dealt with that quite a bit and i posted this on facebook but i'm going to read it again just in case somebody hasn't read it but i found the following statement in some ancient writings and I revised it and I rephrased it for this current study. <clears throat> but it says, I, your father, wish you to look at the bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, of one of my messenger sons, Jesus, and see the greatness thereof, for it reaches from my divine mind into you. That is, that the awareness of your entire being is joined to the greatness of myself. I say then that this bridge reaches from, reaches from all that is spiritual into your conscious awareness and constitutes the union which I have made with man, and observe that is not a, 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 and, excuse me, and observe that it is not enough, so that you might experience your true life, but that you're being made this same bridge for people in the world that they may walk therein. And I believe that is so true, because most people are still coming to church or coming to God or coming to Jesus to get things for them. And they don't realize that they're being prepared to be a bridge, a bridge between mankind's false awareness and a bridge between the truth of who Father is. And that's uh, years ago, and that made me think of this when I read this, that Brother Garner told me it's time to quit feeding for myself and feed for other people. And I thoroughly understood that because I used to study the Bible to help myself, didn't we, Donna? You know, we were taught to study to find out how to get more or how to get better finances or how to please God or whatever. But now we study because we want to be a blessing to other people. 
So over the span of my ministry, many people have asked me what their life calling is. I've had that happen many times. What do you think I'm called to do? And I tell most of them that you have the same calling Jesus had and that of the disciples, that of the Apostle Paul and John and many others. Our calling, again, is to become that bridge. Our calling is to go forth and make disciples of all men, if you would, because that's how Jesus said that. And disciples of what? Disciples of what we're teaching and what people can hear that can really change them. And so we want to help people cross over in their awareness to their eternal oneness with Father God. And Jesus knew that he was one with Father, right? And the Apostle Paul found out that he was one with Father. And so uh, my translations from the Greek and the Aramaic language of Romans reveals the truth of what the Apostle Paul taught and not the false translations. That's why we're using my book for that, that I've translated. And uh, I, there are other people that have translated it. I know Francois has translated and paraphrased some of it, but I just went strictly from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. So in this section of this teaching, we're going to see Paul, what Paul said about identity and the need for freedom from an identity crisis. And if, if, if there's any one thing that the world needs today is a freedom from an identity crisis, people just don't know who they are. They don't in every area of life, not just the ones that we think are crazy, but even us in some way or another. So let's read Romans five sixteen through 21. And if you don't have my translation book, just listen to me. If you look in your King James Bible or another version, you're going to miss what I'm saying to you. So please just pay attention to what I'm saying. Hi, Chris Marsh. Glad you're here. So verse 16, Father's decision and decree from the foundation of the world was... If you feed on the knowledge of good and bad, and the reason I put bad there is because there's no such word as evil in the Bible. They translated bad to evil. So if you feed on the knowledge of good and bad, you will experience the loss of your awareness of me, Father. And you will forget that you live as me. The consequences will be immediate because it takes place pretty quick. So, excuse me. <clears throat> The consequences of living with a strong sense of self-condemnation brings a life of death. And that word death literally means no knowledge to Father, no knowledge to who you are. Whatever you're dead to, you have no knowledge of that, right? So, which is no awareness of Father as your life. Contrary to that, the result of living out of your holy breath brings life. And those of you who are new to this, the word spirit actually means breath or to breathe. So, even though you may do things that do not represent your true character and nature... The, the decision of Father always was and continues to be, you are holy, righteous, and pure. There will be consequences from you not knowing who you are and more resulting effects, but they do not negate your righteous state. So no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're doing, you're still righteous and you're still holy. You are as Father in your body. Verse 17, therefore, when this the first race Adam entered into unbelief, these previously mentioned facts resulted in a strong sense of self-condemnation and a sense of separation. However, what governs people is our holy breath. We possess within us. It, our spirit, our holy breath, is greater in degree, substance and power, and is superabounding above anything else. The resurrection of Jesus was revealed the most holy place truths concerning man's eternal righteousness and supernaturalness. And I've already pointed out many times that we are literally supernatural. That's what Damon means, a Damion means a supernatural spirit of a bad character. So all people were supernatural, but because of their false beliefs, they produced a bad character. And that's all that means. So 
as we understand, receive, and embrace these truths in a relationship of rest, we allow our divine mind to rule in our lives as our genuine supply, just as Jesus did during his ministry and earth walk. Verse 18, consequently, by the mistaken identity, the first race of man, a many-membered man, Adam, the same belief passed on to all who lived as insufficient humans. And they were not humans, but they lived that way. They should have let them that belief pass on by. Since people exemplify in their behavior what they believe is true of them, they behave contrary to their true nature and character as the image of Father. This resulted in a life of self-condemnation towards himself and each other. Jesus revealed that all were always holy, innocent, and just through incarnational uh, events. Their state is eternally and exceedingly blessed and favored by Father, as was the decree and decision of Father before the foundation of the world. Then verse 19, exactly like the race Adam, not listening with intelligence to the decree and, de and the decision of Father from the foundation, those who lived after this first race accepted that same strong sense of separation from Father and self-condemned themselves. Jesus listened intelligently to his divine mind, to the decree and decision of Father. He knew who he was. He was holy and pure. And I won't finish the rest of that there, and we'll go through that later on. So what I get out of this, and a lot of Romans, is again an identity crisis. And Paul was trying to deal with that. And he was given the reason for that. So every generation from the past and present recognizes the most significant problem of mankind is that. It's an identity crisis. And I have written in many of my books and teachings, the first race of mankind did not fall the way we were taught that they fall, fell. They fell in their awareness. And a lot of people are struggling with us teaching that the Bible is mainly about an awareness, but it is. You either have a spiritual awareness or you have a carnal awareness. You don't have a carnal mind, right? There's only one mind, and it's the divine mind of Father. So the problem is it's a carnal awareness and a carnal belief system. And again, that produces an identity crisis. So, you know, uh, from my five years old, I guess would be probably my first really awareness of going to church until about 38 years later, I had an identity crisis because I came to church and I listened to messages that made me feel wrong, made me feel like a sinner, made me feel unrighteous, made me feel unworthy. You can just add all kinds of stuff to that and that's an identity crisis because none of those things are true. So an identity crisis is a period of uncertainty and it's a period of confusion in people's lives. And most people are there all the days of their life. Many of you have told me about your friends that just, they're, uh, they're all different ages. A lot of them were up in their 70s and 80s and they still don't know who they are. They're sh they don't know who Father is. And they're just not sure what's going to happen to them when they die. That's an identity crisis, correct? Yes. So an identity crisis occurs when there's a change in a person's life. A change in a person's life. The first race of Adam exchanged their place of feeding on teachers, uh, uh, excuse me, exchanged their place of feeding from teachers of, of uh, righteousness and they exchanged it for teachers of good and bad. And when you do that, then you interject all kinds of false beliefs to, to you, which we would call that the realm of opposites. They were to feed from the teachers, and that's what trees mean, teachers of life, teachers of righteousness. And so what happens is these false teachers come in as sheep with wolves clothing. I mean, uh, excuse me, wolves with sheep clothing. 
And I don't mean that to be they're bad people, but their teaching is like a wolf because it devours you and it eats you up and it keeps you consumed and you're never happy and you can never do enough. And so next they question their purpose, then they question their passion in life. And then what happens? You experience anxiety, unrest, and guilt and shame. That's the result of a mistaken identity, not, who, not knowing who you are. So these lies altered their values and their inclination to match the dust realm environment that they entered into. You know, we, we talked about this years ago, but the, the name Philistine means dust dwellers. Well, we know that we were made out of the dust of the earth, but also there's a sense in a dust dweller where they're living as carnal. You know, so they then struggled to answer questions they heard in their thoughts concerning themselves, and really they couldn't. So a question most pastors always hear is, who am I? And sometimes we say the same thing, who am I? And we usually go down a big list like I'm a farmer, I'm a mother, you know, I'm a dad, I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm a fisherman. We go down all the, but, but who are you? Not what you do, but who are you? And not many people can answer that question. And even the pastors don't know it for themselves, so how, they, how can they tell you who you are? So the proper answer is, you are a daughter or a son of God. You are perfect and you are holy. And if you meditate on anything else, that is important to meditate on. That's something to dwell about and think about it. Every time a false accusation comes against you, you should stop and say, no, I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm righteous. So in the realm of religiosity, proper identity development can be a difficult time and it can be tur turbulent in people's lives. To try to cor correct somebody from something they believed all their life is very hard. It's very hard. And if they're not asking the right questions, they're not questioning their theology, sometimes you just have to leave them alone. Not that you don't, you, you, you want to, but Jesus had to leave the Pharisees and Sadducees alone. They would not listen to him. They did not want to listen to them. They even knew who he was, but they wanted to keep, keep control. So there was a man many years ago, his name was uh, Eric Erickson. While doing research on identity development, he proposed that if you do not achieve the ability to establish some sort of identity or role within society and yourself, this stage can bring on an identity crisis also called role confusion. Role confusion. Do we not see that today? We see it tremendously. So if you feel forced into an identity, then what happens is you rebel. If you don't know who you are, and then you try to force it on somebody like, no, you're holy, you're perfect, God loves you unconditionally, they will rebel, rebel against you. I've heard people say, I don't know where you get that from, but I'm a sinner. And that's their identity, and they will fight you over that. And, you know, and I don't know what you think, but if, when people die and they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. I mean, that, that's proof of what this gentleman said. They, it moves them into this crisis or real confusion. So what we share with others cannot be forced on them. We, we share the truth of people, who they are, gently. Sometimes we have to drop little nuggets here and nuggets there to see, kind of like feeding a, a dog. You know, my dog is very picky. So every once in a while, we have to drop a, a little bit here a little, see, to see what she'll eat. And then we'll put that in our food. We don't do that that much to her. But a fish, I do that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. We throw a lure in and we, 
reel it around them and if they don't bite then we throw another one and that's why i probably have 500 lures donna never <laughs> unders but every day that you go fishing they want something different but we i'm just playing with you there but we need to help people that way but again we cannot force it on them themselves so this first race of adam became in their awareness a stubborn and unreformable sense man and they lived out of the sense realm they they produced anti-contact with father they they had contact they had the divine mind but they didn't recognize that so they refused to listen with intelligence uh, to father or the many comforter messengers that father sent them uh, we call them prophets like jeremiah isaiah but they actually were comforter messengers they weren't there to prophesy so much as they were there to give them the word of the lord and they rejected him. Jeremiah was a mighty comforter uh, messenger, yet every God-inspired message he shared with the priest was rejected by them. Not listening, they hated him, and they, they sought to kill him, just like the priest did Jesus, and just like the priest did Paul and John, and later on, they did. And so uh, I looked it up yesterday. I'm, I don't know why I've never done this. I was looking up why, when Jeremiah died, but he died in the, the, the year 570 BCE, and according to tradition, uh, he was stoned to death by those people that hated him. And who was that? The religious system. So initially, the first race of man, Adam, was a spiritually illumined man of father. The people called Adam initially identified uh, with an infinite capacity of supernatural expansion. They knew who they were. And they knew the supernaturalists could expand, not just in them, but through all people and into the world. And that was this divine order that brings forth everything that Father says is good. And so this was a place, or there was a place in Babylon named Adadon, A-D-D-O-N. And Adon means strong, powerful, a foundation stone, and low in the sense of being humble, but of great strength. Remember, the Bible says... Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus, that he considered not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and made himself a servant to all people. So he was strong. He could have done anything he wanted. If, if he wanted to show signs and wonders, I guarantee you he could because he knew who he was. He was supernatural. And when he needed to, he functioned out of his supernaturalness, but he didn't do it to draw crowds. He didn't want that to happen. And so Adonon was where the Levites lived that could not, they could not prove who they were. Remember the Levites were uh, taken in Babylon with the rest of them. And when they were all uh, set free to go back to Israel and rebuild the walls and everything, I mean, Jerusalem, they were considered as polluted because they couldn't prove their Levitical priesthood. Why is that? Because Babylon burned their papers. Babylon, confusion, destroyed any knowledge of who they were. And do, isn't that what confusion does? I'm not against the religions of the world, but I'm thoroughly against what they teach. And not the people, but what they teach, because literally Babylon is confusion, and the church world, much of it, does nothing but teach confusion. And so these Levitical priests lost their identity because when one dwells in Babylon, you lose your identity when you dwell there. And where do you dwell at? People dwell right up here. Mm -hmm. Brother Garner always says, right between your ears, people are dwelling in Babylon. Mm -hmm. And so more accurately, you were, you were never aware of your true identity. And naturally, the proof papers burnt, were burned in. And spiritually, 
the proof of who we are has never been taught to us. And if it is taught, there comes this point where almost it's almost too late to teach you because you're so in ground in the lie. When the truth comes again, you reject it as the lie. So the Valley of Avian, A-V-E-N, it's mentioned in Amos 1.6, is a plain or a valley whose identity really wasn't established at all. And Avian refers to the city of On, the city of the sun in Egypt. Avion in the Hebrew means nothingness, it means vanity, it means trouble, it means calamity, and it means fruitfulness. So how does that fit into this? Well, there are billions of, pe billions of people involved in and entrenched in Babylon today, as I just said. They need a comforter messenger to help them out of this sense of nothingness, this sense of vanity, this sense of trouble, this sense of calamity, this sense of fruitfulness. We can add sense of fear there. The sense of being afraid of this God that they worship. I mean, I wouldn't want to worship a God that I'm afraid of, but most people do. They're taught to bow down. They're taught to crawl on their knees. They're taught all kinds of stuff that they do. So allegorically, Avion is the nothingness and vanity and vainness in mankind when they think the physical intellect is their true source of understanding. They believe the outer world of phenomena is real. And we all have family, we all have friends, we all have some kind of relation that is in that state where they believe that. Their con conclusion comes from an appearance and they build up the idea that mankind is ruled over by the sun and the planets and circumstances and happenstance. You know, it just, you know, and there's a, they, they think there's a reason for everything that takes place and sometimes that reason is the life that we live and the life that we don't live. So people who live with an identity crisis think that circumstances and conditions master them, them and there's nothing we can do about it. And I hear that all the time with the way people talk. So thus they become enslaved to appearances and in harmony. And, and that would be the trouble, calamity and the bad that that means. And then uh, uh, weak and they're inefficient, uh, inefficient, which means debilitated and nothingness and fruitfulness. That, that area represents this. And so instead of exercising dominion over all things in the beginning, you know, and I, I found it interesting. I was reading one of my friend's posts the other day, Bob Cosby, and he was talking about how white Christian men have been labeled this and, and, and Christians that think they have dominion over the earth have been labeled bad today. One of, the, one of the enemies of America is that we think that we have dominion over the earth. And so uh, we've got to realize who we are as sons and daughters of God. And I don't have to go to people and tell them I have dominion. I just function out of who I know I am, right? So our conscious mind is our divine mind. Our divine mind. And there's only one mind, therefore we are in contact with the divine mind. And it makes a person know their proper mental operation. And it helps us to know our actual state of consciousness. Sometimes we can feel all stressed out and we can have all kinds of problems. And we, we have to realize that's not my real state of consciousness. And I refuse to ha allow that to have power over me or to rule over my life. So this phase is when one come, uh, becomes actively aware of Father's voice speaking to their thoughts. You know, I've told you guys many times. Is it hot to y'all in here? A little bit. Yeah, I'm, it's getting warm up here. <laughs> I'm, I'm up here. Y'all are down there. But it, no, it's okay. It's okay. So... <clears throat> 
I've, I've said this many times for years, Donna would always say that God said this to her, God said that to her, and I didn't realize Father was speaking to me, but I would always say, I never have heard Father's voice. Well, the reason why is because I wasn't, I wasn't listening. I was busy doing, and I didn't have time to set like she did. I didn't think I did, and just be quiet and be still, which means calm and quiet. And if I would have, then I would have listened to the voice of Father. But when I prayed, when I meditated, I was wanting God to do something for me. I wanted a better job. I wanted more money. I, there was times that I prayed for a rapture to take place because I was so desperate. And when you do things like that, you've done that, Carl? You, you, well, underneath the house in the winter, looking for turn nights and mud and, and hip deep mud, you want a rapture to take place real quick. <laughs> you know, so, I, but I didn't hear Father speaking to my thoughts. Well, and when that happens, yes. I was just going to say the difference between your following your five senses, how you're feeling, you know, that's where uh -huh. most people get into that. They go by feelings. So going by their five senses. <laughs> Senses, right is setting and meditating and being, being quiet. quiet and listening and calm that's because right because if you if you don't take that time then you you just go by your feelings and they lie you to know? you quite often your your right. senses will that's, lie to that's, you that's the carnal way yeah and that's not the spiritual way the spiritual way does take time to sit and listen and you know the real way always does yeah. it's like How's the best way to make money? Save. Put money back. Don't spend it all. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in the real way of doing things, but we, we take the hard road, right? And, and that's the wrong road to be on. So uh, let me get back to where I was. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So our conscious mind and our divine mind, they're only one mind, right? They're only one mind. So... We want to get to this place where we are aware that Father speaks to us all the time. You may not be thinking about it, but Father's always speaking. The voice is always there when you're ready to hear, right? And sometimes it's just a nice conversation. You know, it's sometimes it's just, look what I made for you out here, you know, and agreeing with you and things like that. But we saw where Jesus walked in this state all the time. He always referred to God as source and also as Father. And always knew he was the son of father. And when that's always like that, then your life is completely different. Did he suffer? Yes. Did he have a lot of a hard time? Yes. But he never lost his identity. He never forgot who he was. So we cannot remain in consciousness with father if we put even a portion of our trust into intellect, men's intellect. And that's why when I go to doctors, when I go to wherever I go, I say, father, I thank you that their, their intellect came from you. They may not know it. But I thank you that what they're doing, you gave them the skill to do that until we can walk out of this stuff. And so we must keep our thoughts centered wholly into our divine mind. Our thoughts centered wholly into Father, the source of all, so we can remain uh, aware of our true identity, identity and remain aware of our birthright. Just like people, some of them were born into very wealthy families. And yet there, something happened and their mental problem came in. They forgot who they were and they begin to live poor or in a sense of lack all the time. And they forgot their birthright. Well, our birthright is we lack nothing, right? Amen. 
Our birthright is that we have all things that pertain to spiritual life and physical life. Right now, it's ours. And Jesus came that we would possess it. Where it said he came to bring life and life more abundantly, it really meant that he came to bring awareness to that fact. That the life that we want, and the church world needs to hear that, the life that you want someday in the sweet by and by, you're missing out on it right now. You're going to live 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, maybe 100 years and waiting to get something after you die. And I understand that because the preacher said this is your final reward. Well, dying in body is not a reward. Now, I understand people that are suffering and horrible diseases and sometimes they just can't make it. And we're thankful that they finally pass because they're not suffering. But that's not a reward for doing good. And it's not, a, it's not a reward that you thought you're going to get in the sweet by and by. You're missing out on what Father has for us right now. And I do believe, at least somebody asked the question, I do believe when people pass away, they're with Father. And I believe that they're with the host of the great cloud of witnesses all around us. But I also believe they're right here because there's no distance in the spiritual realm whatsoever. So... Your uniqueness is eternal. That's what we've got to understand. We, we are a many-membered man, and we are one, but we have a uniqueness about ourselves, and that's our true identity. Everybody's unique. Everybody does things differently. Everybody thinks things differently, even though we're one body, but we are a many-membered man. So uh, the Pharisees came along in Matthew chapter 19, and as they always did, they tried to trick Jesus with questions. And there was this discussion about a man divorcing a woman for any reason whatsoever. And Jesus answered them and said, Have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? And in verse 6, we, said, we find Jesus saying, Wherefore, they are no more twain, another separate, two, two different individuals, but one flesh. And then we like that because we take that for marriage. And then he says, Wherefore, God has joined them together, let no man put asunder. And I looked this up several years ago, and I did again yesterday. The phrase put asunder was translated from a, a word that's C-H-O-R-I-Z-O, chorizo, and it means to place a room between. Now, when you think about that. When Jesus said, let no man place a room between, spiritually, what would you think that means? Between you and Father. Because if they teach you that you're just a sinner and you're not holy, and you're not righteous, then they, they put a place between, they put asunder that oneness that we have with our Father. And then Korah, C-H-O-R-A, is the root word, and it carries the idea of an empty expanse and a chasm. To me, that would be the feeling that I might have that God's out there and I'm down here, right? It's a separation again. So what has this teaching of religiosity done to the majority of the people? They put Father up there a trillion light years away. <coughs> and they put Jesus in such a high place of holiness that we can't be like Jesus and we're not worthy to see Jesus. But we're always praying that we'll see Jesus someday when we die or when supposedly he comes back. <coughs> Sorry. And then they make the Holy Spirit... They call it the Holy Spirit, right? And they make Holy Spirit separate from God, separate from Jesus, and separate from us, right? And none of that's true. The Lord our God is one. God is spirit. The Bible says it. 
God is spirit, and they who ascertain and seek to know Father must do so in spirit and in truth. You can't know Father through carnal means whatsoever. Jesus was a comforter messenger. It makes people mad. They get very upset. But he was a comforter messenger, and he was sent with a message just like the other uh, messengers like Jeremiah and Isaiah. But Jesus was the greatest of them all. And he had great understanding. But guess what they did with Jesus? They rejected Jesus too, right? How many, how many true followers did he have that wanted to hear truth? Even his disciples. That wasn't their goal. They, they, wanted, to, they wanted him to set up a physical kingdom. They still had things that they wanted. So he really had no one that really followed him that was hungry for spiritual truth. Although they were close to them. And Mary was, and Mary Magdalene was very close, and they did hear some things. I believe Mary Magdalene heard a lot, probably more than the disciples did. Highly likely she did. But that's why, don't be surprised today if you only have five people in your fellowship. You know, I, got more, I have more than Jesus did. <laughs> now, oh yeah, but the thousands came. Yeah, but they came for food and for healing and things like that. I mean, we need uh, uh, ministers if they're teaching a true word, needs people that want to learn something. Because I would rather equip five or ten people to reproduce this in the world than to have a crowd of 500 people in my church. Because guess what? I could not teach what I'm teaching right now. I believe it will happen, though. So because Father joined us all together as one, just as Jesus, Paul, and John were one with Father then don't let anybody put asunder or put an expanse or chasm between you and your oneness with Father. And they try to do it today. I've seen posts where they say, well, people are out there talking about how we're one with God, and that's not true. I've seen that, and I just go on. I just ignore it. <clears throat> Another picture is the younger son of Isaac and Rebekah was Jacob. You guys all know that already. Jacob represents an idea of the I exist, I exist identity through which the faculties of a conscious awareness receive uh, their original inspiration, if you would. Jacob had 12 sons, and each of, of whom he gave an office and whom he blessed and whom he inspired with spiritual wisdom, every one of them. Now, the Bible, Bible narrative about Jacob and Esau is more than not taught historically. And theologians have had trouble trying to excuse Jacob and Rebekah and their apparent duplicity that really was perpetrated upon Esau. It, they, it looks like they're pretty mean. And physically, they were. <laughs> physically. But we've got to see the spiritual part of this. So we read in the light of spiritual or symbolic understanding, we see the story as part of the history of the unfoldment of the individual soul. We are a soul, right? The Bible says we, are, we were made a living soul. So the incident loses its aspects of deception when you describe it as a delicate, uh, a delicate working of our conscious awareness in its spiritual evolution. You know, we, people say they don't believe in evolution. I do. I believe everything evolves. But I do believe Father God created everything. But I believe everything evolves. I believe that creation is completely different than it was from the beginning. Some evolved good. Some evolved bad. But there is a spiritual evolution that needs to take place in every one of our lives under the guidance of the divine mind. And I can look at my life, I'm 72, and you take the first 10 years of my life, which was I was 10 years old and I started going to church, I can see 
many, many points where there was an evolution taking place in me spiritually. It took place a, a little bit at Full Gospel Assembly, not a lot. That's where I went for quite a while. I said 38 years, a lot more years than that. But then I met Brother Garner, and there was an evolution that took place. And prior to him, I met John Corson in Jacksonville, Oregon, and there was an evolution there that took place of our spiritual understanding and knowledge. And then I met John Cahill, and then I met Kelly Varner, and then I met uh, Justin Phillips, and, and what's the minister? Scotty Todd that passed away. And then, uh, then I met Kay Fairchild. And so this evolution just kept going and going and going. And what did it do? It brought me up higher and higher and higher in my awareness. The problem is if you stop, your evolution stops. Your spiritual evolution stops. And is we don't want right to do that. Word, evolution? Huh? Is that the right word? Yeah, you evolve. It's an it's, it's evolution. It's, it's constantly, you're constantly evolving higher and higher and higher in your understanding. So you get to the point where you realize that there's no limitations to my involving. There's no end to what I can know. The Bible says that the Word of God is inexhaustible. And Jesus did precisely that. We know when Jesus got along with the crowd, what did he do? He went to the top of the mountain before his ministry. I mean, see, not the mountain, the temple. And he sat on the temple and got away from the crowd. And he had to settle two questions. Am I who Father says I am? And he said yes. And then am I here to take over or am I here to leave? And he knew that he was going to have to leave. And I don't know if he knew he was going to die or not, but I knew, I pretty much agree that he knew that they were going to come after him and try to kill him. And so those questions are something that we need to ask ourselves. Am I who God says I am? And not very many people can say that and not many people can even tell you who father says you are whatsoever so am i here to take over the world uh pretty much she said no i'm here to mend uh, to to uh i'm here to fulfill and mandate my ministry and i'm here to wake people up to who they are and so he said yes i exist as a son of god and no i'm not supposed to stay here and rule the people now how many ministry wants to rule the people a lot. So Jesus' mission was to connect the thinker with our true source of thought. And that is our mission. Your friend, if, if you could just if you could connect her with a, her true source of thought, then the dots can be put together and the, the questions can come. And she has that thought, and all people have Father speaking to their thought, but they're not connected. And that's why I say connection in you is your hope of glory. If you could get connected in your awareness to the mind of God, which you have that inside of you, then things can change for you. And then you can live in the cool of the day, the Ruach, which means holy breath or whatever. So it's very plain to an unbiased person that Jesus was conceived through the union of Joseph and Mary. Jesus' conception was the same way that we were conceived. That's how God created man to be conceived. And Jesus was a religious reformer with a mission of Father, and he possessed an insight into things that are really their ever mysteries to most people. Very few people really know what Jesus was saying and trying to teach. And that's why Father, at the bequest of Jesus, equipped the Apostle Paul to do that. And he did it, and he did it perfectly. But the problem is 
his words were trans mistranslated and switched around and changed. And so we don't, we don't want that to take place in our life. Am I going too long? Are y'all all right? Okay. So through this knowledge and harmony with his message, mess, uh, mission, he set into motion spiritual ideas that worked during his ministry and also were in effect at the foundation of the world. There were, there were generations of people who lived out of who they are. We don't have a lot of records of them. A lot of them were over the Middle East, but they tapped into a lot of these things, and many of them have lived supernatural lives. And I believe there are people over in the Middle East that you might be surprised that are much older than you think they are. And there's a lot of history that talks about that. So Scripture instructs us to do something. It says to meditate on the not concealed word day and night. And what do I add to that? Do whatever you want the rest of the time. You've been listening, honey. <laughs> so why would we need to meditate on the not concealed word? Because Jesus said the truth will make you, which means cause you to experience your freedom. And when you look up that, uh, the truth, it says not concealed word. So meditating on the truthful word gives entrance into your consciousness. When you, whatever you meditate on, you allow it into you, right? People meditate on all kinds of stuff that's not good for them. They can meditate on videos they shouldn't be watching. They can meditate on uh, the news, if you would, right? And when you sit and listen to Fox News or NBC News or any of them all day long, what are you doing? You're allowing that into your consciousness. We have a relative that struggles with it sometimes and can just barely hear something about them, and he just goes off on a tangent. You know, because at one time or another, he used to watch it all the time and he had to quit doing it. And so meditation on the word is good because you're, you're consciously allowing that to come into you. And it, you're, it brings into your conscious awareness uh, and wise things and inspiring things and harmonious things that uplift your thought and they bring substance to you and they bring truth to you. So the inscribing of these truths enter your memory and they stay there and they become memorable thoughts. So how can I tell somebody that you really know who you are? You really know. I've told people before, you at one time or another have heard who you are. You have heard that you're righteous and you're holy. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell them that the Aramaic uh, for what Jesus told Nicodemus is a man must remember who he is. But the truth, how can they remember who they are if they don't know who they are? But the truth is you have that knowledge inside of you already. You have the divine mind. You've always known who you were, but it's been robbed from you. It hasn't been nurtured. It hasn't been, it hasn't been told to you over and over and over. You know, my children, when they grew up, you know, I, all I knew then was the mind of Christ. So every time I dropped them off at school from just little bitty kids up, I always said, remember, you had the mind of Christ. Remember, you had the mind of Christ. And one day, I, 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 I think it was Allison, I said, remember, she said, I know, Dad, I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> what happens? She heard it over and over and over, and it got into her, and she believes that to this day. But she knows what Christ is now. She knows that she has the mind of contact, and she's very spiritual. She seeks spiritual things. So this inscribing of these truths are important for us because the more we hear them, they can become memorable, and we think on them, and we dwell on them. And when something opposite comes to you, the truth comes out of you. You don't have to have somebody else to come to and say, wait a minute, you don't know who you are because you do know.
Now, I looked this up yesterday. Physically, micro, I think they're pronounced microbes or microbes, M-I-C-R-O-B-E-S. They're germs that cause bacteria. They cause disease, but they also cause fermentation that helps cheese and the like grow, if you would, or form. But allegorically, they are germs of beliefs formed by the power of thought. And they're in us. And they can affect the power of thought. These thoughts become entities in your thought and have an identity according to the character of your thinking. So as a man thinketh in his awareness, the word heart means awareness, so is his realization. I see people keep quoting this over and over and over, but it doesn't say so is he. It actually says so is his awareness because that's not who he is. So these thoughts can become entities. And so how can a person say I've seen a devil, which is an entity? Well, because they dwelt on a devil. They heard talk about a devil. The preacher talked about devils over and over and over. So their thought produced an entity that's not real. Right? I've been in churches, particularly one I grew up in, where they were accusing little children of having demons and then because of the way they were acting. Well, children can act like they have a demon in them <laughs> if the demons were real. But they used that and they cast those things out of those kids and really messed their lives up. But it's, 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 it wasn't these children what they were doing. It was what these people meditated on. And they look at people and say, oh, they're demon-possessed. Well, you're the one that's doing that because you're projecting that on those people. They may be just mentally ill. And it's a fact that everybody that was brought to Jesus and it says he cast demons out of them, that's not true. They were mentally ill. He healed them because there's no such thing as demons whatsoever. And so error thoughts make disease microbes, if you would. And however, spiritual beliefs from intellectual form intellectual bodybuilders inside of you. So if you think on the think like Paul said, if there's anything worth thinking on, think on these things. If you think on the goodness of the Lord, on the goodness of who you are, and you dwell on that, I am, I uh, Father God is my health, and all those things that we dwell on, then literally there's a chemical reaction, a spiritual chemical reaction that can and will take place in the body, and it nurtures you. So again, uh, as a person thinks in his own awareness and that becomes his, uh, thinks on anything, that becomes their awareness. <clears throat> so when the, the center of our identity drops from spirit, our, our divine mind, to recognition of uh, form as the real, I mean, instead of just what you see as the real, an entire change in that person ensues and the thoughts and the physical things and the temple and everything become kind of a carnal paradise and they get used to living there and they get something out of it. Who was it that used to say all the time they're getting something out of it? Oh, that was a, a psychologist, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, if you're doing something, you must be, regularly you must be getting something out of it. Even if it's negative. So when you, when you drop your awareness down to, to this, this confusion and that which is physical and that which is temporal, and that's all you're thinking about, then that's kind of, a, like I said, a carnal paradise for you. And you are getting something out of it. And sometimes people don't even realize what they're doing to themselves. So the answer for a person in identity crisis is a new birth and their awareness. And you might think, well, wait a minute, I didn't think I need a new birth. I need a new birth in my awareness, right? If I don't know math very well, or let's just say writing, I'm an author, 
And I'm aware that sometimes my grammar is not perfect. Sometimes I type too fast and I think I correct everything, but every once in a while there's something misspelled and I blame it on spell check, not me. <laughs> but if I struggle with that and that's a real problem, then what can I do? I can, I can have a rebirth, I can go back to school and I can take writing classes, I can take grammar classes, right? And so that's a rebirth of my awareness and then it shows up in my writing shows up in the way I talk. So, but we need a rebirth and awareness of who we are. We all need the realization of our true spiritual identity with a fullness of power and the fullness of glory that follows. When you find out who you are, you function out of supernatural power and you experience glory. And what is glory? It's the very appearance of God in your life. It's doxa in the Greek. It's heavy. It's the, we, we, it's the tr- full weight of Father functioning in our life. So to enter into the knowledge of one's eternal righteousness and peace, perfection, and joy, we must remember who we are and we've always known, but we've received the lie that's pushed that down inside of us. We are a son of God and a person that finally wakes up to that, I promise you, it changes their life. I know how, I can't tell you, I know how it felt when people, quote, got saved, but I know they had fabulous experiences because they believe that's what was happening. I remember my wife when she came. She came out of losing a brother and a sister in a very difficult life. And when she came to our church, and she, I don't think she thought she had to accept the Lord because she always felt like she was right with God, but she had an experience that no one can take away from her. And I believe that experience was real. But I'm telling you, when you find out without a shadow of doubt who you are, and that you're righteous and holy, and that God's not against anyone, and your, your brother and your sister aren't burning in hell somewhere because they didn't say the sinner's prayer and all those other things, that's the greatest experience you can ever have, to know that God loves everyone, right? Yes. And there's a lot of people that are miserable out there literally think their family is burning in hell. So Jesus said a person must remember, and we must remember, but how can we remember if there's not a priest that can be sent to teach us? And that doesn't mean somebody in a pulpit. It means people. <laughs> Somebody that's been equipped to explain the truth. So we have, according to John 2.20, we have a special endowment by contact. That's what's the word unction with the Holy One. We have a special endowment that Father put in everyone that that keeps us in contact with Father and we know all things. So I can go to somebody and I can tell them if I had the opportunity to talk to some of your friends that are struggling, I would explain to them how they're righteous and holy, and I would tell them, I know that you know that. I know you know that, but the problem is, is you've been lied to too much, and you believed the lie. And if they have any common sense about them, even if they had to say it silently, they would have to say amen. A because will we, push the truth back. You what? A lie will push the truth back. Yes. That's what it does. The lie pushes it back. <clears throat> so one who possesses and understands their I exist identity, because that's what I am means. When you look it up, it says I exist. God said I exist that I exist to Moses. That you understand this, that you have an individual consciousness. It's much like the Bay of an Ocean. Brother Garner has used this many times, but the elements in the ocean are in the bay. And they're in every bay. And if you travel the oceans of the world, you're going to find lots of bays, lots of inlets where the water goes in. And it looks different, maybe, but it still has what's in the ocean. The bay and the ocean are the same thing. So the same thing is true of the individual and the crowd. We are all one. Everyone. 
these people that we don't like, we're still one. You know, I was really sad uh, about there was four guys that uh, got on bicycles and probably because they couldn't drive because they were on drugs or whatever, and they disappeared in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, all we heard is four bicyclists died, so we thought it was kind of like our friend Stephen that rides bicycles. But, it, but they weren't like him as far as their way they lived. And then it was found out that they were murdered and other things happened to him and dumped in a lake. And so many people looked at that, and when they saw their faces, they didn't care anymore. When they saw their tattoos all over them and realized that they were gang members, a lot of stuff that came out of their mouth was, it was very anti-contact with Father. And that's our mindset. And we've got to realize those things, we're projecting those things into the world, but also it projects in ourselves. We have to see everybody as one. Those were my brothers that died. It wasn't that they were somebody's sons, which they were, and they probably were somebody's parents, but they were my brothers. And that's what we've got to start realizing about this entire world. Yes, they're doing bad things, but they're still my brother, and I still love them. And that's why I say I, say I love you to a lot of people out in the public, and they'll look at me funny, and I'll say, well, if we can say I hate somebody we don't know why can't we say i love everybody i said that to said you know that's right and several of them have said i love you back and some of them are men (laughs) because they understand that Mm -hmm. and so the same is true of all of us allowing one to be your identity then you will experience great peace and perfection who are you i'm one i'm one with you i'm one with father and that helps you tap into eternal peace that helps you out of anxiety, that helps you out of fear, that helps you out of all kinds of struggles. Uh, One of the times in our life when we thought we were gonna uh, have to pay IRS $5,000 and pay all the penalties and we didn't have it, the Father spoke through Donna, through her thoughts, and, and have I not always been there for you, on and on and on, and we believed it and it brought us great peace and we just let it go and said okay. And that was on a Saturday night and Sunday, we come home from church, and there's a message on my phone saying, I've been trying to get hold of you for several days. We want to buy your property and paid us more than enough to pay IRS off. I don't, they, they, they never called us before, did they? There was not another message, but it happened. And the Lord just uses things like that to mature us and to help us. I don't need that today because I know that I know. But until you know, I believe the Lord helps us. So... <clears throat> I think I'm going to be able to finish this. (laughs) Am I going too fast? Good. So uh, how do we realize our identity with Father? The first stage of progression is to to leave hiddenness, H-I-D-D-N-N-E-S-S, in your awareness. That almost like you're hiding from God and God's hiding from you. Have you ever heard anybody say, where is God or where was God? So that's that hiddenness mentality. And that comes from tremendous spiritual intelligences. And you know who that is? That's comforter messengers. And you are all been equipped to be a comforter messenger. A comforter messenger can come to you, come near to you. They're in contact with the divine mind and they can explain to you of your oneness. They can explain to you that Father is not far away and that we're not trying to get to Father or trying to get Father to touch us. 
I, I remember a time that I thought, Father, if he would just touch me one time. I didn't say I would believe, but I just thought if he would just touch me, I would know that everything's okay. I want that feel. It's kind of like when my wife hugs me. I love it when my wife puts her arm around me. She doesn't do it enough, but she does do it. But I love it when we're out in public or we're sitting somewhere and she reaches up and puts her arm around me. Doesn't that feel good to you, Carl? <laughs> you better not say that's never happened. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. So with Father... We've heard this, and, and I think it's living out of our spiritual resources that we wrote. There's no realm of opposites, right? There is no us and Father. If there's no sinner or saved, or sick or well, or poor or rich, then there's no Father and us. Because Father told Moses, who do I say sent me? And Father said, I exist that I exist. And we can go to scripture, all kinds of scripture where it says we exist as the plural of Father. We exist in union with Father. And so the perfection and understanding has been attained when we seem to be two selves, but then we realize that we're not. We are one. And Paul explained those truths tremendously. And we can kind of see that, that uh, evolving in the picture of the Feast of the Lord, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, or in the Tabernacle of Moses, Holy Place, Most Holy Place, uh, excuse me, Outer Court, Holy Place, and Most Holy Place, there's an evolving of an awareness takes place. We used to call it spiritual, spiritual maturity, but we are already spiritually mature, but we're not mature enough in our knowledge. So Outer Court, Holy Place, there's not a lot of spiritual truth in there. But when you get the most holy place, that's where you're, you see that you're one with Father. You're actually, in the truest sense of the word, Father married you from the foundation of the world. You were one with Father. And that's a great discovery to, to look at. Uh, I'm reminded of the old outlook and perception books because that's what they are. They're not testament. There's no such word as testament in the Bible. And they're, they're old outlook and perception. We discover scripture where for one of them says, Father says, I will meet you between the cherubim. And that's the King James Version. Well, if you look it up, the word between was added, you know, because we thought that he was going to go stand between the cherubim. What are the cherubim? They're people. They're not angels. The Bible says they're people of blessings and they're peoples and they were made out of one work. And it's not a, we, Brother Garner used to say one beaten work, but it's not. It's made out of one molded work. It was created. It wasn't beaten together. So the mercy seat and the cherubim were one, if you would. And so when you look up the word meet you, guess what you find out? You find out it carries the meaning of to set down or to marry. In other words, I'm at rest with you. I'm one with you. And that's powerful. And so your identity is I exist as one. Moses asked Father again, who do I tell him sent me? Tell them that I exist, that I exist sent you. I exist is the Father's nature and it's, and it's Father's character in man. That's what it means. I exist in you. For us to exist with each other, we share our character and we share our nature, don't we? And so the I exist can also be explained as the name of our spiritual self. So in contact with Father, uh, it reveals that, you know, if you meet somebody that's in contact with Father, it, it reveals that they exist with Father. Because you can't unless you exist with Father and you learn things. And you can listen to people and you can tell what part of them are they in contact with. 
Are they in contact with the divine mind? Are they in contact with their carnal awareness? So, and don't go around doing that so you can judge people, but you need to listen to yourself, yeah. your thoughts, yeah. and you'll know if you've been in contact with Father. So in closing your, this here, build yourself into all that Father is in you, and you will find yourself in heaven right here on earth. Oh, Pastor Roy, don't you believe in heaven? Well, look up the word heaven, and it says the abode of God. And if you know anything about the Bible, where is Father? Father is in us. Father fills the universes, but Father is in us. So the first race, Adam, was created from the dust of the earth, or dust of the ground, according to Genesis 2.7. Now look this up. True dust represents the radiant earth, or it represents substance. So when we speak of dust dwellers, we speak of those who continue to walk about in their lives in a lower awareness. That's all that meant. It had nothing to do with the dust of the earth. The Philistines, their main name means dust dwellers. It just means they, they dwelt in a lower awareness all the days of their life. And they were lowered down because of that. So when the spiritual man I exist enters this substance and uses God ideas in them, they bring forth an ideal body and this elemental perfection of who they are. And they continue to be, but they become unaware of who they are. And then they suffer identity crisis. They're who they are, but they become unaware. So let's no longer be lowered down on our awareness. Let's no longer allow somebody to lower us down in our awareness. Sometimes I just want to ask people, when are you going to get tired of all this stuff? You've been, doing, you've been praying the same prayers for year after year after year. You've been begging and pleading God to do this and do that, and none of that's happened. Every once in a while, maybe you've tapped into a truth, but overall, the majority of your prayers have really not been answered. I had somebody tell me once that every prayer that they prayed was answered, and I don't believe it. Because it's not prayer that we need, it's conversation that we need. We need conversation with Father. And so let's no longer do that. The will of our Father is that mankind exemplifies the I exist identity. And the question is, that I wrote down here, will you be its representative? Are you hungry to be the representative I exist? We should all be able to say like Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's your identity. So I got two weeks with the teaching down in one. So <laughs> I didn't think I would. So uh, I hope that blessed you. It did me when I studied it. And I could write another two or three chapters on this, but I don't want a book to be about just one subject. But uh, I do appreciate you being here. Uh, if you do like to read books, again, I have uh, the translation of Romans. It's called uh, the mystical, the, a mystical view of Romans. It's actually just a translation of Romans. I also published uh, about a month ago my uh, first book on this series. So if you're interested in getting that, you can find my links on my page at Roy Richmond, and uh, I think they will bless you. There's, I think there's, I published a little over 25 books. So. I'm very excited about that, and I hope you'll read them all. <laughs> Lord bless you. Appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.